Welcome to the Dividend Talk Podcast, episode 149. Five things we wish we knew when we started investing. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just getting started, Dividend Talk is the place to be for insights, analysis, and unsalted advice on how to make the most of your money through dividends with our own unique European flavor. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and join our community on Facebook at Dividend Talk. See you on the inside. Hey, European DJ, you look like you're all partied out, buddy. <laughs> yes, definitely. I had a rough week, let's call it like that. And uh, yeah, I had quite some late evenings with, you know, also some, uh, some, I guess, some alcohol. I think and people, when they listen to us, they start thinking we're, we're alcoholics. But actually, I must confess, I'm just a boring husband. Uh, you know, and a good father investing most of my money, but I do like uh, to to have a party from time to time. Makes me feel young. So uh, yeah, that's how it is. And uh, I hope I get a sleep, a good sleep tomorrow morning. Uh, plenty of dancing, I heard. So you must be you must be wrecked tired. <laughs> yes, but I think this is enough about my private life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's stick stick to dividends. To dividends. <laughs> um yeah let's 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 move straight into the news of the week so we don't want to talk about alcohol any anymore on this show um <laughs> germany has entered a recession i don't know if you heard that this week which is interesting we've been speaking about recessions for for a long time um obviously mm -hmm. germany is the largest market in the eurozone um and they've gone into what's called a technical recession which is obviously based yeah. on the amount of quarters of they have of negative growth um, but it's strange, like I haven't really seen this impact uh, too much in the markets, but even on the news, um, uh, somebody posted a screenshot on Twitter the day that it was announced mm -hmm. and everything and anything was was trending except for actually Germany in a recession. It's like it just never happened. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think, you know, Germany or maybe the US later, this is the most predicted recession ever, I think. Yeah, so... Oh. If you look at it, the last decade, it was every time a recession was coming up, and now they finally have one. You know, sometimes stock markets and, and, and the wider economy, they don't go in lockstep with each other, right? It might be already priced in and everything. Uh, uh, of course, technically, you mentioned, because they probably come out, out of a really high uh, growth numbers, right? So, look, for me, it is kind of part of a pattern at the moment and, and by the way the stock market is not jumping uh, anymore right like it used to do i don't know uh, i was doing for instance p 500 is it now flat for the year or something like that or a few percent up or a few percent down uh, i think it's close to being up again isn't it yeah but what i'm trying to say is like also the the stock market is trading uh, sideways so i think there's a lot priced in i think many people expect recessions everywhere you know uh, I think uh, what I saw the other time was also a chart how P500 
people are, uh, how is it, consuming their savings mostly to stay afloat. So at a certain moment, you know, if the savings uh, are not there anymore and people start to pile up debt, and we, there are also saw some charts, then it's, it's only normal. We hear about the layoffs and everything in, in, in big tech. I don't know how it is with other companies. But let's say like that for me doing this podcast and also for three years, uh, besides the besides COVID, the news have been has not been so bad consistently, right? So again, I cannot predict these things myself. I really don't know whether the stock market will be higher or lower at the end of the year from now. I do know that my dividend portfolio will be up, so that that's most important. But you know, if 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 shit really hits the fan, then I'm prepared. I hope, of course, my job is safe. We will see it by then. But I'm prepared. I know what to do. And let's just continue to invest in my dividends. Yeah. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think it is already priced in. I think we've been speaking about recessions on on this show probably for the whole three years that we've we've been podcasting. Uh, particularly by COVID, we were expecting it. So as you said, it was expected to happen at some point. So it probably is already priced in it'll just be interesting to see now how the rest of the eurozone actually goes after yeah. this. does it go in lockstep i know the uk is doing quite well actually compared to mm -hmm. the rest of europe but um it's it's probably going to be uh, an entertaining couple couple of months maybe towards the end of the year as, yeah. as as europe recovers but as you said the market could be ahead of us and if we start to see a recovery in the markets it might mean that we might yeah might see a recovery down the line as well and in terms of economies uh, i just hope that people um don't get scared from this news yeah yeah uh, we do the dividend pod podcast also here to show how we are doing but i'm totally not freaked out by this i wouldn't i don't even care we discuss often a bit of macro news uh just because we know it's on people's mind but um and also on ours of course but generally specifically short-term macro news should not really bother to yeah. us specifically not for dividend investors so i hope that people have uh, feel just as uh, comfortable as we do with this stuff and um, yeah yeah you know let's but, keep investing guys come on but you know we've been speaking about it for, for a long time recessions job losses market crashes and all this and we're starting to see them one by one starting to take off we haven't seen that yeah. capitulation that we've spoke about yet but yeah we're, we're starting to see it all like it's a domino effect all all starting to happen yeah. and and then we'll see pretty much like covid who who sticks to the word and and stays the course and who will disappear into the, yeah. into the wilderness but like you as you said have a plan stick to it and, and you should be you should be okay if yeah, exactly if, if your portfolio goes to zero probably have bigger problems to worry about in the world <laughs> exactly exactly that's how i also think about it so we're moving on medtronic medtronic one of um a company that you wrote about i think you know quite well it's known as an irish company they have reported mm -hmm. their earnings this week quite quite late compared to some yeah they have a different calendar as well right so this was their four years uh, four year earnings right now and you know the let's start with what people might have observed is that the stock price is trading around the 80s again it was doing that like few months ago and i was not really buying at that time i wanted to wait for the full year earnings and you know they're they're just not good 
net income is down as what it was in 2021. So last year they had like uh, 5 billion of net income, this time 3.8 billion approximately. Last year they had a free cash flow of 7.4 billion, this time 6 billion, even less than 2021 when it was 6.25 billion. Um, but then if you look at the free cash flow at the moment, yeah, it is then around now, what is it, uh, four and a half billion? But they pay dividends to shareholders of 3.6 billion. So we are talking with that about a free cash flow dividend payout ratio of 80%, a free cash flow per share in 2023 of 343 per share. So if you do that times 20, which is a healthy valuation, I would say, and actually a rich valuation. This stock should be trading at 60, 69 dollars, let's say ballpark figure. That would mean without doing a real valuation or something like that, that this is still like 15% overvalued at already a really rich multiple for a non-cash flow and non-earnings growing company over the last few years. And that's a bit worrying, right? And then a payout rate of 80%, uh, you know, then if you look at it like that, it's no wonder that Medtronic also announced that they are only hiking their dividend by 1.5%. And I think this should be really a lesson for investors, our listeners, because I heard a lot of people uh, like a few months ago also, ah, buy Medtronic, buy Medtronic in the, in the high 70s. Because if you look backwards, the company had an average dividend rate of over the last few years, what was that, 8 to 10%? Yeah, but... You know they were not growing free cash flow what they did was actually payout percentage expansion from let's say 56 percent to now 80 percent but now they are at 80 percent they can't anymore they have also uh, slowed down significantly their repurchasing of, of of shares compared to last year so there's not a lot of shareholder return and you know we could uh, be going to the low 70s maybe high 60s uh, even for longer and, and I don't know over the next few months if 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 let's say the stock market would start pricing Metronic rationally and it shows that since also the incoming CEO that this incoming CEO has not been able to turn around the business yet I do like what I'm seeing from the guy but I still think this might need one to two years it's there's just a lot of competition MedTech is not easy we see it with Johnson Johnson we see it now with Medtronic. We have seen it with Philips, but Philips has, of course, also um, it's it's a litigation issue. But this market at the moment is not easy. I think not for the big players. And um, yeah, Medtronic is no stranger to that. Yeah, we've we've seen this story play out a few times, haven't we? And think of VFC, AT and T as as examples where we've seen companies that have a rich history, a rich dividend growth history that everybody looks back on and thinks, okay, this can go on forever. But we start to see earnings decrease, revenue decle decrease, free cash flow coming under pressure. And then you have these low token dividend increases of the 1%. And they'll do that for as long as they can, maybe two, three, four, five years. And then all of a sudden they have nowhere else to go and, and they have to cut it. And, and it's like, it's a big shock. Um, and it feels like, to me, uh, I, I've always stayed away from Medtronic, but I feel like to me that it's a similar kind of story here. Um, and these these one percent increases can't go on forever, particularly if they're if they're not growing 
um, yeah, but they're not growing there. Yeah, so I've been really conservative with um, averaging in into Medtronics. It's just a low position for me. And often people were asking me like this and this and this, but for me it was always like in the low 70s, I, I, I can add a little bit more because it has been already struggling with its cash flow for five, six years. And I think that's really important. And you're right, I, uh, it might do it uh, small increases first because that's what dividend growth investing about is. Growth refers also to business strength, to business growth. Because when you have that, and, and and companies are able to turn that in a growing profit and growing cash flow, only then you can do sustainable dividend growth. So Metronics for me right now is I don't understand all the time when it gets such a rich multiple, definitely not in a higher interest environment. I don't understand it. And with that, for me, the company is really overvalued still at this price. So uh, yeah, maybe one, someone can explain me why such a high multiple because if you look at the numbers it also means that this is not a high quality stock because if it's not able to grow its fundament business fundamentals it has great products it has sticky products you know the brand means something but it's not like coca-cola where you can just hike prices uh, slightly above inflation um, and such and therefore still grow your dividends so yeah yeah d d I will show you on the spot a little bit because I, I know you you know a little bit more about these. But do they have a catalyst? Is uh, like what what's their picture in the next five years? Uh, I don't see a strong catalyst. I mean, the there's a strategy from the CEO, um, but I don't. You know, you could or argue that all those strategies are trying to you know mention catalyst, but let's say it like that. I don't see in and a significant uh, needle mover and and that's what's needed at such a business we spoke last week about realty income yeah. how much uh, property they need to purchase to have a meaningful impact to their bottom line yeah and those that's for me like a needle mover um and i i don't see it yeah and it's yeah. hard for a company the size of metronic yeah and, and and that's my main issue as well and honestly if i was holding this company it would definitely be on my shortlist to sell. Yeah. I, I don't know if I would I would be happy. Yeah. I, so I have it. I'm not intending to sell it. I'm not intending to to grow it either. It, it, it's fine where it sits. I don't expect a dividend cut or something like that. I just don't have high expectations for the dividend growth. But I'm not a investor that looks at opportunity costs. Like, okay, if I think that Metronic now will be like growing to three percent in the next three four years let's sell it because maybe i can get somewhere else a stock at a similar yield that grows a little bit faster i mean for me uh that is also a little bit of timing the market in there so, yeah uh, well i wouldn't agree with that narrative i would look at it more of business fundamentals are not improving they are technically worsening there is no yeah. catalyst should they, it's not it's not a it's not an opportunity cost or it's not Maybe there's something better out, out there. It's yeah. this company is not getting any better. It's getting worse. We've seen this happen before and there's no catalyst. So why should I hold them and hope they turn it around? Yeah. I think episode 32, we, we spoke about how to spot a company in decline. That's a long, yeah. long time ago. We spoke about that. Yeah. But, um, I, I just feel like this feels like that kind of company to me. Yeah. 
Yeah, it might be. For me, it's a little bit giving it the benefit of the doubt. I don't want to punish uh, companies too quickly with this. And yeah, let's see where it brings us. Maybe you're right. Uh, let's see. So having spoken about Medtronics, let's start uh, still quickly discuss some dividend hikes before we go to the main uh, topic of the show. So the first one is Lowe's company, the biggest competitor of Home Depot is hiking their dividend by 5%. So I'm really uh, curious like how they will do in a recession type environment. But I think these businesses also together with Home Depot are like very, very solid. Next uh, company that is actually an, a company that we never talk about. Uh, I don't know um, how well you know the company, but guess, ticker symbol GES, hiked their dividend by 33% uh, to 30 cents quarterly per share. And then the third company is Lyondell Basel Industries. They hiked their dividend also by 5%. And this is their 13th year of consecutive dividend growth, which is actually quite uh, a quite interesting company and also a high-quality company, I would say. Yeah. So currently a 5.5% yield there, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, threw, I threw a guess in there, first of all, because um, we speak about Louis Vuitton and all these brands. And I didn't know guess paid a dividend but i know for christmas i treated my wife to a pretty expensive guess uh, kind of purse um and i just found it the correlation quite good maybe these brand names uh, that look there's a market out there uh, so maybe they're probably a company worth thrown into so when i see them pop up as a dividend increase i said i, I put it in here to stick it on my radar um lydell basel it's a company that I like and I really like to own, but I can never get over the fact that they nearly went bankrupt or they did go bankrupt and, and cut their dividend. Um, it obviously, is in a cyclical market, and I don't know. I can never, I can never get over that. But it's it's good to see it's good to see them continuing with their their thirteen years of dividend growth as well. Nice, nice, nice. So hey, these hikes keep on uh, coming in, um, maybe maybe a little bit less than before, but. Yeah, I'm so curious uh, regarding the main topic. So shall we get just started? Yeah, so let's, let's do it. What, what are the five things you wish you knew when we when you started investing? Uh, top, top of the list, investing on a regular basis is not easy. I mean, in paper, everyone says invest the same amount every month, yada, yada, yada. You, you do your plan at the beginning, I'm going to be... I'm going to be financially independent in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, whatever it is, and, and you put it on paper. But when it comes to the crunch, it is not as easy as that, particularly as news and emotions and, and all, all these other things come in, into play. Um, for example, we're talking about recessions and market crashes on this show for, for a long time, which, which we said earlier. And sometimes it's natural to think, will I hold back? Will I not invest this month? And, and you can start that and, and it's easy get get caught up in that um i find myself sometimes having to force myself to, to come out of that thinking and say i've made a commitment um and throw that in. i actually wish that i could I, I like that about trading 212 is you can still up recording recording you don't have that option on on interactive but it's 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 not as easy as as you think it's it's easy to write it down but stick into a plan for 10 15 20 years i'm only at it now maybe i'm at it a bit longer and i thought i'm at about five six years now um and it, sometimes it can be a struggle so certainly over a long time span 
it's it's not as easy as you think to invest every single month like clockwork yeah and it's funny that you say that because it's exactly the same thing that i have number one it's and i put it actually in the category of timing the market yeah, so yeah, yeah. um I was definitely in the first two, three years timing the market. And I'm just checking at my statistics, for instance. In the year 2016, I really didn't add a lot of investments. It's, it's almost a shame what I invested in those uh, in those years. And I, I've, I truly remember that uh, 2016 because, you know, there the, the the stock market felt so rich yeah but for instance even in 2014 when i started we came just out of the greek debt crisis and i felt like uh, many countries will probably uh, collapse fear-mongering uh, a lot right and yes yeah, so i was really under investing in, in in my portfolio thinking like ah you know let's pile up some money for for when the stock market will go down and I've just learned that that's just stupid. I should have at that time just buying Johnson Johnson, yeah. yeah. And and so what I also learned those high quality companies, therefore, and and that's maybe also a bridge to my second learning. If they are at your entry yield, let's say in my case two point seventy five percent, it's worth often investing in those because those have bring such a consistency that um, you can continue investing in those. So timing the market for me. It's, it's been definitely one of those things I had to I had to learn not to do, which is really not easy still today. It's easy to fall into the trap of thinking like, ah, you know, let's see what June will do if you're in May. Yeah, but I mean, news is inherently negative anyway, isn't it? How often do you listen to the news and it's all happy and all all good? People generally don't listen to it. Yeah. It's normally negative. There's always something going on. And I'm learning to, over time, try and, and block that out. Obviously, you, you try and keep some sort of an interest, but try not to let it cloud my judgment. And yeah. it's, it's it's hard. Like You you have this thing about the, the US debt, debt ceiling now that they're talking about. Yeah. That don't go ahead. The market's going to crash. So naturally, this month, it's, it's May. Naturally, this month, the thought will come across your mind. Okay, maybe I'll just hold that month back and yeah. see what happens next month. But yeah, and then the stock market goes up, and then you feel like uh, let's wait another month until the stock market comes down again. Yeah, yeah because I could have bought at at what the price was two days ago before yeah. the debt ceiling news. So yes, and you're just letting your emotions take take over. So that's why yeah. I try to be as mechanical as possible. I try to automate as much as I can and and regularly, yeah. regularly just put the same out in just try and make that commitment to yourself yeah and, and stick to it but but man I, I i hope i'm sitting here in another 14 years and it'll be my 20th anniversary saying yeah. that I, i've stuck to it every single month <laughs> yeah and then before we move to the next uh let's say learning right what what i'm also suffering from and specifically in the beginning is that when you ask book recommendations on social media or you read about book recommendations, what what do people tell you like a dividend the symbol sim, single best investment or one up on wall street or buffett book or you know the other dividend relating books but you, you those classics are often from the 90s or something like that 80s 90s early 2000s when there was a different time interest rates were higher dividend yields were 
uh, higher. Valuations were lower. There was no zero interest environment. So we get then put in our mind also with that kind of saying like, this is what how you value things like a 15 or 14 multiple. But what we have seen over the last few years, or actually since 2014, 2015 or zero interest, that zero interest actually inflates the stock market. So then is the question, should you not invest at all in the inflated stock market? Or should you just ride the wave knowing that your portfolio might take a hit? So this is for me also leading and has been leading to me in timing the market that you never just see proper stocks valued. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny you mentioned books and, and the time period of them because they're all, as you said, said, set maybe a decade, two decades, three decades ago, but also geared towards America. They're not geared yes. towards Europeans, and we are Europeans, and we're reading these things, and some of them are talking about 401ks and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. That has no relevance to us. So, um, yeah, it's 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 definitely definitely different times, as you said, and and now we're starting to come into more that inflationary period and more interest yeah. rates. So maybe some of these books might become a to, little, yeah. yeah they might <laughs> they might become a little bit more applicable to us. Um, yeah but yeah moving with the times times change and and what what it was like in the 80s is different to the 90s is different yeah. to the 90s and, and so on so yeah go yeah on. but that also brings me to my second learning which is really interrelated to it is and the sticking to the plan once you actually can just you that's the beauty of dividend uh, growth investing you can calculate your plan if you know your savings rate you can realistically calculate your plan yeah but then sticking to the plan is really really important so i just mentioned timing the market but it's not just timing the market it's also really consistency to to make your numbers yeah so in the in, in the beginning i was for instance maybe investing a little bit too much in high yield stocks that had no growth or low growth uh, or i was investing even sometimes in too low yielders with decent growth but not high growth but you don't make your numbers with that according to your plan so that's why in my screen i really have this 2.75 really strictly yeah but then there needs to be proper dividend growth behind it and i'm calculating six percent annually now people that read my annual report see that i am not making this uh how you said this um uh, compounded dividend growth every year and the reason for that is I have a few companies in my portfolio that are high yielders and low growers or even no growers like Omega Healthcare. So that's why I don't make the number, but it's still okay for my plan because uh, I've got a higher yield portfolio at the moment and, and due to that also. But sticking to the plan. And one thing that really helped me, Derek, you mentioned automation. And the automation is not so much like for me, like investing it in kind of a pie. But the automation for me is like pay yourself first. Once the salary hits to the account, put the money already that you need according to your plan on your brokerage account and then it's gone. Yeah, you cannot touch it anymore because you also invest it then uh, uh, as quick as possible. And, and that's been really helping me to stick to my plan. Really, really helpful. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good one because similar to that, my my one is set realistic expectations and and it's good you mentioned stick to your plan make a plan and you can calculate 
what you learn and, and, and when you can retire and, and so on. But I think you need to be realistic as well. It's easy to sit down in the beginning and think, I'm going to hit a 60% savings rate. Uh, and you could be you could be there you could be married with no kids for example or you could have no mortgage at the time or you can have lots of different scenarios where that is that might be possible in that moment but is that possible over over the long term and i remember when i sat down i thought i would reach financial independence by the time by 10 years uh, and i don't think it will i think it'll be close to the 15 close to the 15 years and even in terms of that plan you're probably going, okay, if I invest in 5% yielding companies, 6% yielding companies, I'll get there quickly and and, and so on. So I just think you need to, uh, at the time, as I said, I gave myself too short of a time span. I was probably going to go for higher yielding companies. I was probably going to try and save a lot more than what I'm doing. But at the same time, I'm saving pretty much close to 40%. If I go any more than that, I'm taking away from my kids, my wife, and, and from what they want to do. So. I don't want to do that either. So yeah. I think just being being realistic, setting a plan is is definitely important, but keeping it keeping it realistic, I think, is also just. But how important. do you know what is realistic when you start investing? So in terms of say what I can what I can save, I generally at the time at the time I was basing that I would probably save sixty percent, but I was ignoring stuff like. Uh, kids kids activities and, and so on so i just reduced that 40 percent. i know at 40 percent, my kids can do whatever they want pretty much my wife can do whatever they want i can i can do whatever i want i know that is sustainable if i go above that i'm taking away from somebody so once nobody misses anything and i i'd never have to say to my kids you can't have that because i'm investing it i know i know that's sustainable so at the current rate i know that is sustainable but it took me probably a year to figure that out yeah, I, I didn't know. I didn't know it right off the bat because I didn't do that activity. And I, I remember you saying that you tracked everything for was it for the first three months or was it the year? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's. I think that's even before you start investing. I think that's something that's really, really good to do for a short period of time, and then you'll know what's realistic for you to save and not to save. Yeah. Yeah, and also you can test with it, right? Like I say, if you just transfer that seventy percent from your account, you have to live on the other thirty percent. You will quickly uh, know if you can make uh, ends meet, because otherwise you have uh, a guy knocking your door to, uh, you know, empty your house, <laughs> take your car away, and take your house. Exactly, exactly. Um, so I'll move on to to point three, and I. I think a lot of new investors, particularly in, in this day and age, will probably fall into the same trap. We know a lot of investors came on the scene in and around COVID. It became quite popular. Dividend growth investing was actually the in thing at the time before being absolutely hated. But one of the things is probably try and ignore social media as much mm. as possible. I, I remember T under 30. Remember that was trending for months and months and, and, and look how that is. And I'm going to talk about one of our hoodies. You can't borrow conviction. Um, and I think that that is key. It's hard because you're probably a new investor. You're coming onto Twitter. You're coming onto Reddit. You're coming onto Facebook. You probably have dividend something in front of your name like, like I do. Um, and you see all these other people who seems who are posting results. So there's some people posting pretty impressive results, you have to say, on Twitter, on YouTube, and on all these social media platforms. You see that they then recommend the company. 
sometimes it's only natural for you to think, okay, this guy knows what they're talking about, or girl, this this person knows what they're talking about, and you follow you follow them into it. Like David and Grode Investor, for example, he's he's one everyone would just follow no matter what he says. Um, but as we found out, you can't borrow conviction, and and if you own the likes of AT and T, say Philips, or even VFC. Um, you're probably paying the price for that now. So I think that's probably one of the biggest things that, that I learned is <laughs> ignore Twitter, <laughs> ignore yeah. ignore social media. So I must confess that it has been always a bit easy for me, but um, I yeah, I've been buying, I was following Jason Fieber in the beginning and I was also buying stocks that he was writing about, but I didn't do my own homework. So when you say you can't borrow conviction, also means do your own homework. Yeah. So I should have proper, I should have more, I said, learned how to be able to do my own homework in the beginning, because everything that someone like like Jason Fieber says makes common sense. Yeah, uh, but for instance, I was I was I, I bought kind Kinder Kinder Morgan ML an MLP and it was like a toll gate system uh, how it was being sold so dividends are safe yeah until there was no oil coming through the pipeline anymore yeah and then uh, you know it's not a matter of uh, toll gate uh, there's just nothing coming through yeah so then they cut the dividends yeah and I had no conviction for this stock and yeah then what do you do yeah so. So you, you you think of those times and you have the likes of Jason Fieber who were online at a time when not as many people are active online at the moment. There were probably a handful of people. You could probably count them on two hands. Yeah, it was, a, it was still a relatively small community compared to now. And yeah. on Twitter, there was not such a exactly. shite, shite so, like now. So now you have younger people coming in that are used to social media, that are following yeah. people on, on TikTok. And, and they're seeing all these you can understand why they get swept up in it and it, yeah. it, it's similar to, to your story just in a, a different generation but i think the the quickest lesson you will learn is when when things go to the pot when things go downhill yeah. you, you will see quite well what you understand in your portfolio yeah. and what you don't but i'm also sure that there are listeners that have stocks in their portfolio that they have because of you and me yeah, yeah. talking about it <laughs> so yeah from the other side uh, it, it works that way as well right but but like we have our lessons i guess our listeners also deserve their own lessons by by you know copying our mistakes and not maybe having conviction yeah but to be fair i think we're quite open and saying do not copy us uh, certainly do not do not copy anything anything yeah. i do i think that that is important to say that because i think you're right we, we do speak to a a lot of people and you can get listeners and, and when they're talking through their portfolios sometimes they match what we're thinking or what we've said and, and it's i find it quite funny when when i hear it back sometimes but it, it is quite real too and i think it it is important that everyone does yeah does their own homework because at the end of the day we're just two guys who are who look we want the best for us uh, because mm. it's, our, it's our money we're putting our money into these we have skin in the game yeah, yeah but but it doesn't mean we're going to be right i mean we want to be right but it doesn't mean we're, yeah. we're going to be right um, yeah and and, and that that yeah. is also maybe then important what i had to learn and and that's really a learning now that that i didn't know yet in the beginning is the importance of dividend safety i really underestimated that in the beginning i i was not even aware of it i mean you hear sometimes dividend safety, but what does it even mean? 
Yeah, so to get that understanding um, was really important. And dividend safety for me is not just the payout ratio. Yeah, yeah, because there can be companies with a good payout ratio, but if they have a poor balance sheet, think about the real estate investment trust sector. Yeah, yeah. We know that the the top top quality rates are doing pretty well, but you know many of those had, had, let's say had an eighty percent payout ratio, or even Castellum. Yeah, uh, they had a fifty percent payout ratio, Castellum, and then uh, the the balance sheet was uh, so so. Let's say interest rates shoot up boom they're in trouble yeah yeah so it just also shows you that dividend safety is based on the on the industry risk that the company is dependent on let's say and in this case it's like their business model secondly it's it's then dependent on three financial statements do they have a proper income the earnings do they have a proper balance sheet and do they have um, uh, a healthy cash flow? Let's say that's growing, and and that's why it's also really complex to calculate the dividend safety. But guys, dividend safety is not just the payout ratio. The payout ratio is a screener. If it's high, it should already ring bells. But if it's low, it doesn't mean that the bells also shouldn't ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I touched on this with Medtronic, and I, I was kind of this is where I was kind of gearing towards. Uh, are we talking about? dividend how how safe is that how safe is that dividend and look i haven't dug deep enough into them to to say it is or it isn't i i know you i know you know them more than me but i agree with you you have to know the three balance sheets and and my learning my my learning number four was that there are no shortcuts and you can read all the articles you want on seeking alpha you can read all the articles you want in your blog and my blog but there is no shortcuts to actually digging into those annual reports and, and understanding what's in those annual reports. Definitely uh, one of the first shows we did, it must have been the first 10 shows we did, is how to analyze a balance sheet. Um, and we found that important, important enough to be one of our first ever ever shows at the time. So I can't, I can't overstate how important that is to understand the balance sheet. And, especially in terms of, of dividends we i think we've mentioned before but it's kind of counterintuitive isn't it as dividend growth yeah. investors dividend should be the last thing we're looking at we yeah. should we should nearly forget about the dividend and focus on the rest of the company first and if that's okay then you then you look at the dividend and yeah. i think that's probably a good a good habit to to get into Hey, and to your point, I'm looking at our uh, dividend uh, dashboard, dividend stock dashboard that we created, right? Yeah. And we did the last time an update on Medtronic on uh, November last year, 2022. We we run the numbers. What do you think the dividend safety score is? 46. 58 and questionable. Yeah. Yeah, and the questionable is because of the growth uh, uh, prospects, um, and also because of the free cash flow growth, the EPS growth, which was not good, and the free cash flow payout uh, ratio. So they had a five-year dividend growth rate at the time of nine point six percent, and now one point five percent, like the last year. So, um, but the balance sheet is strong. Yeah, is strong. They have a really healthy debt to equity. 
but that's why it's questionable it's it's because of the growth part and the high payout ratio so i must say our our dashboard and those metrics that we have in there they continue time over time to do well yeah to do well because i always notice when i ignore it or when i try to you know justify my reasoning of why it's maybe safer than it is usually i'm wrong yeah yeah i mean emotions emotions are usually wrong uh you can't beat hard facts and, and what's there stay on you in the face sometimes yeah. but yeah it's it's interesting i'm, I'm not surprised that it is questionable to, to be honest yeah. I'm, I'm surprised that it's that high but as you said if the, if the balance sheet is strong then well if i run the numbers now it will be probably lower because of the, yeah, the different of learnings now so it will yeah. reflect on that but that's also another learning for me so i just mentioned the importance of dividend safety but my next learning i put it like thanks god something like uh gap uh us gap exists so the general accepted accounting principles thanks god that they exist this because our ceos of the companies we own right and those ceos are effectively employed by us they try to continuously cheat on us continuously they are trying to fool us with their other numbers right the non-gap eps uh, or basic eps or core eps or you know what was it adjusted ebitda yeah yeah uh, these yeah. kinds of things they continue to cheat on us and these are really bad employees to us so i'm so happy that gap exists because gap is really strict in those kinds of things and the numbers don't lie humans do that's yeah. one of the big, biggest biggest um learnings for me yeah but some of these humans are laser focused on getting the best results for, for that company oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> I um, like the, the laser focused one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, you're you're percent right. And and every time I see see this road down, numbers don't lie or gap earnings, I think of IBM. <laughs> and I always uh, think of that. And, and and the example you gave of it widening over time. And I think that's actually a good point to bring up again is is to compare the two. If you see that gap keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and these one-off charges that actually reoccur in a different name every year uh, it's definitely definitely a red flag um yeah it's a, it's a good one to bring up but my my last one is history is not an indication of the future oh. and and i say this because when you start investing in dividend growth stocks and if you if you start if you look up how to start investing in dividend growth stocks you're going to find pretty fast either the dividend king list or the dividend aristocrat list and yeah. you're going to look at the history and they're all going to be above 25 or above 50 years and you're going to think to yourself okay i can just pick one here and i should be safe and i wouldn't blame you for having that assumption because these guys have paid it for a hell of a long time yeah. but then you look at someone like vfc <laughs> who are a dividend king they weren't they weren't just an aristocrat they were a dividend king and look what happened there so I think it is really, really important that you do not use the bias from history to make the decisions of the future. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and and I think this is really, really a, a good one that you bring up because it relates with my last learning as well that I wish I knew when I started investing, and that is value traps. And one of those that I want to call out is stocks 
or companies that are subject to fraud or under investigation. I think it's so easy to step into the in, the in the value trap there. Think about 3M now. You see 3M, $100, I don't know, 5 or 6% yield. You see the dividend history, 50, 50 years of growth. And you think like, ah, you know, they will get over it. But this reasoning, they will get over it. They will manage. Where do we have the conviction from that that's the case? Yeah. yeah. Because fraud, litigation, and crimes, like the Monsanto uh, thing as well around cancer, uh, these are really tricky ones. So what I've learned, when there is such a potential value trap, I need to... There needs to be something like a court ruling or a settlement from which you can then understand what the impact is. And CEOs putting money aside is not enough because the first time they do it, they are usually still naive. And we have seen it with Philips and others. Usually the initial, uh, let's say, litigation reservation that they that they put aside is not enough. Usually still two, three, four, five, five additional will come over time. So for me, value traps are so easy to step into in the beginning because also when the price drops really quickly after that, people, people are quickly to, to, to buy something there and not really understanding the consequence of what they are doing with that, specifically in the case of fraud or let's say uh, litigations uh, coming with really high potential impact. Yeah, Lit litigation is definitely definitely something to, to keep an eye on. and. 3m is the perfect perfect example i mean you, you come along and you you're new to investing um just as an exercise while, while you were talking there I, I typed into to google there top five dividend aristocrats okay yeah. and um on this list and this is called this is on forbes this is not this is not a small site this is a big site yeah. okay it mentions 3m the boy and the article is dated May 22nd, 2023. So mm -hmm. it's not an old article. Yeah. It has 3M on there, uh, Walgreens has on there, IBM and VFC. Come on. Like, like so what, what I hope is new investors, like if, if they're looking, if they're Googling this stuff and, and they're finding that, they, they find this list, they see a list of companies, they Google the best ones to, to look into, and this is the list that they're getting. One of oh, them has boy. cut their dividend. IBM, we could talk about fraud and, and everything for so long. We have litigation with, with 3M. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think it goes back to the previous point and stay away from blogs, stay away from all that try and do your own research because yeah I mean, that's that's crazy i i actually can't believe i'm reading <laughs> reading this article now um but three like if i if 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 i was new to this i would look at that list i would see someone like 3m they have the highest yield on this list they have yeah six percent so they're actually top of this list they're recommended by forbes yeah i might go ah I'll do it. I might read a little bit about them and say uh, litigation, but they got a 51, 51 yeah. year history. I'll, I'll buy them. They're, they're sitting under a hundred dollars. Um, so yeah, you can see, see how people, people get caught. Yeah. But I, I, I think, as you said, you need to understand what you own. And when it comes to fraud litigation and all those nasty stuff, just, just stay away. It's, it's just, yeah, exactly. it's just heartbreak at the end of the day. That's all yeah, it exactly. is. Exactly. Exactly.
And so, so this kind of also concludes this section of our of our podcast show, right? We will soon go to listeners' questions. But I also understand now that we raised a lot of questions in people's minds because we say like, ah, oh, you should read the financial statements and such. Now, what I would really recommend, we, this is show number 149. Go through the list, start at one or something like that and, and, and look at those topic headlines. We have done about how to read a balance sheet. We have done a show on, on the free cash flow statements. We have spoken about why IBM is a bad investment uh, uh, in our case. So I think there's a lot of lot of educational material in, in our podcast shows that will help you answer those questions. Yeah, dollar cost averaging, it's all being discussed on the show already. So uh, don't worry, we've got your back. You would need to do a little bit of digging, but maybe in the show notes we can put a few shows as re reference that help us connect it to the learnings that we we, we did today so that our listeners also can follow up a little bit more if they are interesting to really get a little bit more insight. Okay, find those learning, but how do I prevent this, what you mentioned, right? And more, more practical. Yeah, yeah. Nice one. Yeah, I think that that's that's a good way to, to wrap up. Um, lots of things that we wish we knew. Look, we don't have a crystal ball. We might sit here in another five years and we probably have something completely, completely different because our experience will be after changing. But definitely interested to hear from the community on Facebook. I'm not as active as I should be on there, but I do read everything. So I would love to hear from everyone. What do you wish you knew before you started investing? Um, and with that, we move on to the listeners' questions. And the first one is from Dave. And he's asking us, would you compare the AI hype to the dot-com bubble? Ooh, that's a really hard question to ask and why I'm saying it. Um, so the bubble was a stock market bubble, but the technology change was right. In the late 90s, the introduction of the World Wide Web, look at how we are living today with smartphones and everything. You can't say that, uh, let's say, people in that time were wrong about the potential of, of of personal computing, the web, all these kinds of things, online shopping, it's it's insane, yeah. However, I think the market went a little bit too much ahead of itself at the time, yeah. Uh, be, and that's what we see from time to time. So that's what I think uh, is what went wrong at the time. So if you talk about me about the potential impact of AI to society and how much value it can add to society. Honestly, I think we're at at that time indeed where we can really start seeing an impact to society. And AI is already there. Think about your Netflix uh, uh, algorithm. Yeah, so it exists already. But this, what happened with the large language models and ChatGPT um, here as an example, I think now there's a lot of lot of opportunities to start automating. In the you know last five six years, we've been playing with chatbots and everywhere in 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 the, in the world, those customer service agents, right? That you're talking with, and they they are bloody annoying. But now with ChatGPT and these large language models, I think there is, it it, it can move now really from, you know, that you had to change your way of. You were always instructing kind of a chatbot, right? To to make sure you 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 get. 
now now i think this is really a game changer i really see it now this, of course you know it can be then a gold rush yeah but i think the gold is there and if we look at 10 years down the road we need we need self-driving cars almost yeah and they will be there yeah but i think we might go a little bit ahead of ourselves so what is important in those in, in these situations like this look at companies that are actually earning money from ai yeah and and this is important Com look at the continue looking at the income statements don't buy the hype as such yeah you don't want to see revenue growth i mean we've seen it in 2021 revenue growth we had all these shit stocks that went uh, sky high and you know what was it again uh, this one with the wet ink uh, docusign docusign yeah yeah come on guys in the end how, how many how many signatures do you need to set do you need to put yeah it was a bloody wet signature business that went like at a multiple like sky high so that's what you need to avoid yeah continue looking a little bit at uh, as a rational investor conservative investor but for me that ai is going to make a larger and larger impact to society no doubt do I think it's a little bit in a hype? Well, it's a conversation of the day, so that's probably a good sign that's a hype. But um, yeah, that's yeah. my opinion. It's it, in terms of comparing it to dot com bubble, which is more of a stock market hype. I think these are two completely, two completely different things. But in terms of AI hype in in itself, yes, I definitely, definitely think so. There, there is huge potential there. I think we're only getting started. We're only trying to figure out where we are with it but what i find crazy is and i don't know if it's the same in your place but the uh, all the way up to the boardroom all they're talking about now is ai 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 whenever i bring a project i, I work closely in automation the first thing i'm getting asked about is whether or not i'm going to be introducing some sort of ai to this so yes i definitely think there is some sort of hype to it but the technology is there it's growing and I think it has it has an exciting future. So Hobby Investor has asked us about our thoughts on Starbucks with a PE ratio above 30. Too expensive. Yeah, 100 percent Um, I suppose the question the question is asked because, and quite rightly, is every time anyone goes past the Starbucks it is full to the brim um it's the same here in ireland in in warford as well it's it's they're always full starbucks seems to be always full so it's it's easy to see why you'd ask the I, question but it's a great business but it's not growing at such a high rate that it justifies a 32 uh, pe secondly their balance sheet is not that strong um so high quality business definitely uh, stock is just a little bit rich for me um, I had the opportunity last year to enter a position in the in the high 60, low 70. Not saying it will be there anytime soon, but hundred dollars uh, at, at the earnings power that it has is a little bit too much. Um, but if you want to buy it and put it on the shelf for the next 20 years, I think whether you pay a 30 PE or a 20 PE will not matter that much. Um, I look at it more like there are more attractive stocks elsewhere generally. Cool. Um, Herman has asked us our thoughts on Signify, ticker symbol L-I-G-H-T, as a dividend growth stock. 
Yeah, oh, Signify. That's really, really, really an interesting um, one. So maybe for the users that don't know it, Signify is a stock uh, as a spin-off from Philips. Every stock that got spun off by Philips has been doing better than, than the parent company. Uh, they are effectively a, one of the largest producers in LED lights, in lamps, effectively all the bulbs uh, there. And this company, you know, is, is going up and down, up and down all the time. Um, I mean, up and down, not, not in the volatility of uh, Bitcoin. <laughs> Ticker symbol, by the way, is light. L-I-G-H-T. Um, and the yield is, is, is very, very decent at the moment. Now, I like the company. I'm considering sometimes to enter a position there. I think it's a boring, stable business. I think the market is very pessimistic, pessimistic about a business like that. But, you know, I don't see why this company will not be able to grow over time. We need lamps. We need to replace them. So if they're able to, you know, increase revenue above inflation and also earnings, then then why not? So it, it's, it is such a stock that is typically underappreciated. Um, and I just have never really pulled the trigger on it. And maybe I, maybe I, uh, maybe I should, but if I'm correct, it has a dividend yield of 6% right now. Yeah. It is trading around 25 euros which is the year low, it is almost um, going to the five-year low, which was you know, 18, let's say, or 15 in the depth of uh, COVID. That doesn't count for me, but let's say it has been touching the 20 euros uh, back in 2019. So, yeah, the PE ratio of seven. You know, there's something to say for this talk, I tell you. Yeah, the, the the only problem I would have is that it's easy to replicate their products and what they have. Um, I remember when I started my apprenticeship, uh, Electrician Philips was always the go-to go-to brand before they obviously spun this com company off. Um, and I remember these company they ha they did have some pretty cool automation when automation was only new in terms of their lighting and 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 how they structured it and stuff, but. There's lots of different brands out there. We talk of French companies in, in terms of um, what they can do as well. I think there's a lot of competition here. I, I won't be so bullish on them. I, I think it's easy to replicate, and, and I, I'd be worried I'd be worried to hold them as a, as a long-term investment because of that. But as you said, Philips have a good record of spinning off companies and, and then doing better than, than Philips themselves. But um, that would be my only concern with, with this type of company. Yeah, yeah um davide has asked us our opinion on johnson and johnson and abvi are they getting interesting um so for me abvi is not interesting but i'm anchored around the the price that i paid for it yeah johnson johnson yeah definitely what is it 3.08 percent yield right now yeah, it's, it's, it's um, $154, I think, in around that, that price range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, it's really interesting. And um, uh, I should buy something again. Yeah, it's definitely coming coming into to the buy range. Um, Abby, if I remember correctly, you did an exercise. That must be a year ago now about the yeah. safety of all your companies and 
Abvi was quite low on that list, if, if I yeah, remember. It's, it is one of the lowest dividend safety when it comes to the balance sheet and the credit rating and such. Um, but that's why also you get a higher yield in return, but you may also demand a higher yield in return. Yeah. So for me, I would like to see it in the low hundreds. Yeah. Then, I, then that would be interesting. But Johnson Johnson now is like, yeah, it's nice. It's nice. Like, like if if you're comparing the yield, you got a three point eight with Johnson Johnson or a four point three with Abvi. I think it's a no brainer. To look yeah. At then I go for Johnson Johnson. If you look at the risk uh, and then strengthening the quality, Johnson Johnson is a top ten foundational stock for me. So yeah. I, I I wasn't checking the share prices at all in the last week. Yeah, since since we had the last show a little bit. So uh, thank you to the listener for bringing it to my attention. <laughs> Someone's going shopping. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it feels like. Um, Snowblind has asked us our opinion on ticker symbol VHYL ETF. Yeah, as a, as a comparison to the Schwab uh, dividend ETF, right? As an alternative. Yeah. So look, uh, Snowblind, it gives an attractive yield. I believe is it 5% right now? I think something like that. So it gives an attractive yield. That is really nice. But, you know, if I think last year it gave like uh, $7 or something. Let me check. So in 2021, it gave 7.2 euro or dollar in, 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 in dividends, right? In 2020, it was 6.7. In 2019, it was 7.6. So what does this tell you? The dividend income is not stable. It goes up and down. Yes, yeah? so you cannot, you cannot count on the dividend being higher next year. Now it did have a dividend kegger uh, of 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 for five year of six percent when the last time I checked it was in the end of 2020 so 2022 so this is not the latest and greatest data on the last two dividend payments so and then plus the plus the current yield makes it of course uh, having a relatively good chowder rule of ten because the current yield I see now is four point one percent at a dividend kegger of six percent at the time. So yeah, there is something to say. It's one of the better ones, but just know the current yield of four point one percent, or and maybe it's even higher or lower because I missed the last two dividend pays. But next year it can be 10-20% lower. For me, that's disqualifying for me as an ETF because I need the same as my dividend stocks. I need growing dividends and not over five years. I need growing dividends each year, or at least flat, but but not not dropping. Um, I have the yield here is 3.92, um, which is okay. So it might have paid a little bit less dividend than one yeah. of the last two questions. I need to update this list for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, Mac has asked us our opinion on Williams Sonoma, ticker symbol WSM. Um, I think we've been asked about this company before. The, Williams Sonoma are. Uh, home furnishing and houseware brand company i think most people know them as they own pottery barn i think that's the most popular place people will know um some of the other brands i'm not overly familiar with it's it's not it's not the type of business i would like to own based on, on what they do but if you look at the numbers the numbers are actually quite 
decent. Um, you look at their earnings per share over the last 10 years, for example, they were $2.82 in 2013. It is now estimated to be $13.70 this year. Um, it was slightly higher last year, but given the market that they're in, I'm not surprised that it's going to be a drop from this year to last year. Um, their dividend per share has gone from 124 up as far as 360 over the mm -hmm. same time period. So it compounded quite nicely. I think they average at around an 8% dividend growth rate over, over that time, um, which is quite surprising. Their dividend yield is in just over 3, 3.4, uh, 3.5%. They've got a 17-year dividend history. Um, yeah, it looks, it looks okay. The, the PE ratios is also a little bit attractive. I, I don't know the industry that well, but they're trading at around 8 which seems quite low. Historically, they seem to be trading around 14, um, from what I can see. So you could say from a PE perspective, they look attractively priced as well. It's just, when you look at it, you think of home furnishings, you think of houseware brands. We yeah. spoke earlier, I, I know they're based in the US, but we spoke Germany around this recession. You mentioned that people are dipping into their savings. That, to me, leaves companies like this. Yeah out in the cold and, and that's that's why i struggle with but they certainly seem like a well-managed company based on the high level numbers that that i've seen um i haven't dug into their balance sheet or depth do they carry any any depth or anything like that but yeah. um it, it would be an interesting pick for for somebody based on on history but go back to my learnings history is not it's not <laughs> an indication of the future and, and for me for me this this company at this moment, it's probably not going to interest me. Uh, yeah. If if they'd have to go into deep, deep, deep value value for me yeah. to to want to buy this company, yeah. um, and at a three point two percent dividend yield, there's better options out there for me at the moment. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Good, good, good. So then maybe uh, next question is a Canadian stock BCE ticker symbol BCE 20 years of negative retained earnings and growing dividends. How is this possible? Can you have a look? <laughs> um, I don't know how it's possible. Are they, are they taking out? Are they taking on a lot of debt? I mean, retained earnings is what's left over after you pay your dividends, your taxes and, and, and all that sort of fun stuff. Um, so, I don't know. I don't know how it's possible. <laughs> to be honest with you, I, I didn't think it would be, um, unless unless they are levers and the tits off themselves. Um, but I don't know. What what do you think? Yeah. So I just don't know the company, right? Um, I think they're a telecom uh, company. Are they? Are I think. Yeah. So to your point, retained earnings is usually negative as a result of share repurchases. Ah. So yeah, be, because. I said, um, well, it depends on how you look at the balance sheet, but you have there the, also the position treasury stock as an example. So, um, but it's in, it's in that, it's in that part, it's part of the equity. So you, you can have negative equity. Yeah. Uh, here. Um, yeah, but it can also be an accumulation of, of losses over, over the years, right? Continuous losses, loss, loss, loss. And here then the question is, is this because it's, for instance, like like kind of like a real estate investment trust where you need to look at uh, funds from operations or something like that uh, because it's highly capital intensive? I just don't know the business and um, I, I cannot give a normal answer here. So maybe the runner, if you could explain a little bit more, I didn't have time to prepare like that for the show on this one. 
but we can have that conversation further on uh, uh, on social media if needed. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, hey, you learn something new every day. I did not, I did not know that. So, um, that's a great question. Thank, thank you, thank you for asking that. Um, and that, oh no, we have a couple more. Um, Jeremy has asked us, what approach would you recommend for a teenager to invest? Well, you have a teenager. Explain us. Yeah. And I just get him to look at companies that he knows, that he understands. Don't worry about dividends, not dividends. What companies does he like? And, and just, I try, I, I try to get him to do it more consistently. Um, I think the interest was the, it, it, it ebbs and flows. Sometimes he has it, sometimes it doesn't. And I don't force him or push him because I don't want to be pushy on it. Um, he's he's only started coming to me again. This week, he with did the Gaia app. I think it's after going up in price again, and he's oh look, yeah. Dad, I have I have this amount, um, but I, I definitely don't push it on him. I, I want him to do it. I want him, and I I talk about it. I talk with the podcast a lot just to try and keep their interest in it. Um, but in terms of investment style, I don't be too pushy. They can make they can make every investment could be a mistake at this stage. It does yeah. not matter. It's just about going through the process of getting the basic understanding and, and building that up over time. So when they are when they are adults, they will be in a much better place than, than I was when, when I started. Nice one. Nice one. And then the last question for you is from Will Ryan. And he recently noticed that as an Irish investor, he doesn't seem to be charged any withholding tax for UK, for UK stocks. Is there a catch here? Yeah, you still have to pay. You still have to pay your taxes. So you, it's not like when you invest in uh, U.S. stocks, you have to pay a withholding tax, and then you pay the rest to the revenue. In this instance, you will have to just file that, and you pay tax with the revenue. The only thing I will say is that you should be charged some tax. I think the U.K. Um, have a tax there. What's it called again? I think it's called U.K. domestic tax credit. If I remember off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. That's a small percentage of the dividend, but that's not attributable to the dividend. So, for example, if you received 1,000 euro after conversion in dividend income from a company, you pay, I don't know, let's say you pay domestic tax credit of 100 euro, mm -hmm. then you will be taxed at the Irish rate on the net dividend income, which is 900. So that 100 oh. euro does not actually yeah. go into take be taken into consideration so that's something to to look at as well yeah wow um Good. i do i i will i will finish that up will um by saying that the revenue.ie site is really really good um it's it's actually a fantastic resource and i recommend checking it out and if you're really unsure give them a ring um i've spoke to these guys a few times Sometimes you'll get someone who's clueless, I won't lie, but if you ring enough times, you will get someone that knows what they're talking about and they will answer all your questions. Nice, nice. With those nice words of wisdom, I think it's uh, it's a nice time to round up the show. Derek, as always, I really enjoyed this one. And it was a, it was not an easy show, actually, because to talk about and go back, like say, let's say, six, seven years in time, but it was really good for me because there are some things with those things that I wish I would knew knew when i started investing it actually triggered me in thinking as well uh, a little bit so i need to pay a little bit again more attention maybe to dividend safety here and there i also remember my learning from the beginning of the year i want to invest it more in high quality companies so this johnson johnson is probably 
one where I can uh, add my next uh, salary to. Yeah, sounds good. Um, thanks again to all our listeners for the questions. I was a little bit late asking it. Um, I didn't even get to it on Facebook, so thanks European DHI for, for asking there, but we do appreciate all the questions. And as I said, I've learned something new today in terms of retained earning. So we do enjoy the questions. I think I look forward to the questions most of all. Sometimes I wish we prepared a little bit more from, but we like to do them ad hoc because our answers are more authentic that way. Um, and I hope you all have a lovely weekend. We'll see you all next week. Remember, both of us at Dividend Talk are not certified financial specialists through formal education. We are just two guys sharing our journey for inspiration and entertainment purposes. Hence, this is not investment advice. Although we do our best, we can't promise that the information discussed is always correct, nor appropriate for you or anybody else. We always recommend that you do your own due diligence and be accountable for your own choices. As we always say, you can't borrow conviction from others. Last but not least, by listening to our podcast, you agree to hold us harmless from any ramifications, financial or otherwise, that occur to you as a result of acting on information provided in this podcast.